Let us pray. O Lord God, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from the book of Isaiah. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The word of the Lord. A reading from 2 Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there... It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and there may be fairness. As it is written, 
Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay hands on him and take him aside from the crowd privately. He put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looked up to heaven and sighed and said to him, and that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more they zealously proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We give you thanks and praise, Almighty God. We thank you for the ministry of Jesus. We thank you that in his resurrection, where we root our hope and our joy. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes um, to, to see Jesus and to learn from him. We pray all this in his holy name. Amen. <clears throat> Many years ago, uh, my wife Molly and I uh, were um, driving on a drive somewhere, and we were searching for something to listen to on the radio. This was pre-smartphone, pre-podcast. Uh, um, and we came across a Christian radio station, and there was someone sharing a testimony um, on this radio show, whatever it was, we didn't know. Um, but it, it was a man sharing a testimony of how God had sort of led him in his life of giving and of, you know, giving away financially and giving things away. And it was actually a very humorous testimony where this man shared about how he kind of felt like God was continuing to ask him to give in new ways. And eventually he, he had the strong sense that God was calling him to give away his truck. Um, this truck that he loved, um, that he ended up giving away out of a sense of obedience to the Lord. Um, now, I realize that may sound like kind of the ultimate humble brag, you know, it was so hard for me to give away my truck, but look how awesome I am for giving away my truck. But the, the fruit of the testimony, at least for Molly and I, was um, after we listened to it, we were talking, and both of us kind of left it saying, man, this makes us want to be more generous, when we hear this guy's story and sort of his story of this kind of crazy sense that God was calling him to give in a radical way and him following through on that and the, the joy that he experienced in doing that, for both of us, it just made us actually later sit down and say, how can we be more generous? How can we give more away? And even this to this day, right, it was probably 20 years ago that we heard that. I can still remember that testimony and I'm thankful for the fruit of that it bore, for the calling to generosity. Um, in our passage today, we are, um, we're actually coming to the end of 2 Corinthians for now. We will come back uh, to 2 Corinthians at the end of this series, but we will return to finish off 2 Corinthians at some point. But in our passage today, it actually begins a section that, again, we're just getting the first of, um, and there are passages that follow this that deal with the same theme, where Paul is basically presenting to the Corinthian church, and I would say the Lord is presenting to us a vision for generosity and a call to generosity. And I actually want to consider how this passage gives us the why, right? Why be generous? Why give? 
the context here, right, as best as we can tell, is that there was an offering that was being gathered by Paul and by Titus. This offering was going to help um, Christians, followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, who had suffered incredible um, need and incredible hardship. And so this was something actually that Paul and Titus had been working on for a while, gathering this offering to bring to Jerusalem. Um, and, um, again, from what we can tell, the Corinthian church, at least many in the Corinthian church, had made a commitment to the offering, but they actually hadn't followed through on the commitment. So in a sense, they kind of filled out the pledge card saying, this is what we're going to give, but they hadn't actually given it yet. And so this is Paul's encouragement, follow through on what you said you would do. And you can hear that in this passage. Now, what's interesting about this passage, and this is true for the passages that follow as well, is how little we actually hear about the, the need that the offering is going to, right? I mean, actually, we wouldn't even know that it was going to Jerusalem if it hadn't been mentioned in 1 Corinthians, right? That's how we know that this is in regard to help those in Jerusalem. But as you can see when you hear the passage, he doesn't talk about, look, here's the, the things that they're facing in Jerusalem. Here's how hard it is. You know, here's how, you know, your offering will make a difference. He actually doesn't talk a lot about the need. Now, that doesn't mean that the need is not important, but I think that's worth mentioning just up front because often I think when we think about why give, right, and why be generous, which again, I believe is at the heart of this passage, I think often our first starting place is, well, we give because there's so much need, right? We give because there's an abundance out there of need, and if we have resources to help with that need, we should give to them. And that is true, and I'm certainly not denying that's a, a good reason to give. But I actually believe scripturally it's not the primary reason given for giving. Again, scriptures are very, you know, clear on the call to justice, the call to help the poor, and so certainly need is important. But actually when giving itself is addressed, it often doesn't begin with there's so much need there for give. It actually begins with it's good to give, right? It's, it's great to give. Yes, the need is great, but it's just good to give. It's good to be generous. And I think that's helpful because I think often when we think about giving, we may start with the need, and sometimes we feel kind of overwhelmed by that. As we start to think about, oh, well, there's so many needs, right? I mean, right now, right? We think there's needs in Afghanistan, there's needs in Haiti, there's needs here in our country as people um, recover from flooding. Right? We can feel overwhelmed by the need. And then maybe we look at the immensity of the need and we look at the paucity of our resources in light of that need and we can feel like, why should I even give, right? It's just a drop in the ocean. What difference is my little gift going to make? Now, again, our giving does make a difference. And so I want to be clear on that. But I think that starting point from the greatness of the need actually can limit us in our generosity. And that's, I think, significant. But that, again, is not where the Lord, speaking through his apostle Paul, uh, begins in this passage. And actually, again, if you continue to read in the next couple chapters of Second Corinthians as it continues to deal with giving, that's not the main focus at all. So what is, right? What are the reasons for giving? What is the reason for being generous? Well, Paul begins, actually, in speaking about the churches of Macedonia and holding them up as an example, right? And we may think, oh, man, you know, it's kind of harsh of Paul. Like, look at the churches of Macedonia, you know, kind of like a parent, you know, looking at, you know, one of the siblings. Like, look how good they are. You know, why aren't you like them? Um, but actually, he's not so much saying, look at the churches of Macedonia. They're so good. Be like them. He's actually, I believe, saying, look what the churches of Macedonia understand, right? There is an insight that they have into generosity that I want you to have. I want you to, to learn from them, right? It's not like they're good and you're bad, but actually there's something you can learn, just like Molly and I learned from this testimony. We heard this man on the radio. So he um, uh, basically shares, look, what do they understand? What do they get? And basically what they get is there is blessing in giving, right? There's actually joy in being generous, right? They get that actually we don't give just be, to help others, although we do, 
We actually give because it helps us. It's good for us. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And so we can ask right there, when he speaks about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, we can understand that as the grace that they showed, right, they demonstrated grace in their giving, or is he saying the grace that they received, right? We could actually read it either way, and probably both are true, but actually, from what we can tell, at least for the churches of Macedonia, for, the, for those churches I gave, for them, it was about the grace that they received, their mentality was, we've received grace through giving, right? We've been built up in the Lord, right? I mean, look at verse 4. They begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Right? Basically, their attitude was, you are doing us a favor. You are showing us a favor, showing us favor by allowing us to give. It is a privilege to give towards the relief of the saints. Thank you for allowing us this grace. That's their attitude. Right, what's wrong with them? Uh, we're wondering. Right, right? Who, who thinks like that? And even more surprising, and I, I appreciate it, even Paul says, we were surprised. Right? We didn't expect this. Right? Look at the formula, basically, we see in verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have over, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Like I said, it's almost kind of like a formula, right? So you have severe tests of affliction. Right? The churches of Macedonia face poverty. We see that right here. They also, at least at times, face persecution, right? So these are churches that know suffering, right? And yet they have an abundance of joy amidst their extreme poverty. So affliction plus joy plus poverty equals, right? And I think if I had to guess, right, if I didn't know what it said, I would think, okay, joy plus affliction and poverty, well, maybe that equals perseverance. Maybe that equals endurance, right? You know, the joy helps them to endure and to get through the difficulty, but actually, the, the outcome is an overflowing and a wealth of generosity on their part. What came out of their joy and their poverty meeting was generosity, was giving. And again, how does this happen? Right? When even Paul says we didn't expect it, but I believe we get the answer there in verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, to us. Again, they gave to Paul and Titus, right? They heard there's a need, right? The, the saints in Jerusalem have a need, right? And they were excited to give, right? And probably they trusted Paul and Titus. We trust that we'll give to this offering. It'll be used well. But first and foremost, they gave to the Lord, right? The reason actually they saw it being a favor to be able to give, the reason that they, you know, gave even in the midst of poverty and they gave in abundance above and beyond their means is because they understood giving is an act of worship, we actually, when we're giving, we're worshiping the Lord. First and foremost, we're giving to the Lord. And secondarily, we're giving to whatever the need is. The need is important, but primarily giving is an act of worship. And so, of course, there's a blessing in it, right? How can there be a blessing in giving? Well, if giving is an act of worship, then, of course, we're built up as we give. We receive blessings as we give because we are created to worship God. Right? When we are worshiping God, we are living in the truth, right? We are engaging in what is right and good, as we say in our, our liturgy, right? It's a good thing, right and good, always and everywhere, to, to worship you, God. Right? And so that's what we're doing in giving. And so, of course, it's a privilege. Of course, there's a blessing in it. Of course, they are built up in it. Again, a number of years ago, um, actually about 18 years ago, almost exactly, uh, uh, when uh, my wife Molly and I moved up uh, to Minnesota to help start uh, the church with a few other people who are committed to um, starting a, a church here, um, we did lots of meetings uh, with people um, uh, to tell them about the church. Basically, anyone that would <laughs> meet with us and would sit down to hear about this vision, this heart that we had for starting a church, we would meet with them. 
Um, and uh, there was a, a couple that reached out to us pretty early on um, after we had moved up. Uh, we knew some of the same people. We had actually met them briefly in the Chicago area. Um, they lived up here, and they were interested in, in learning more about the church plant. Um, and again, every meeting we took very seriously, but we knew that this couple, the little we knew about them, basically had experiences um, and sort of wisdom that we really needed in our church plant, right? Both of them had been part of boards that were like for national ministries, so they understood administration and being part of a board. I'd never been part of a board. I didn't even know what that meant, but I'm like, it must be important, right? They must know things that I don't know. Um, and both of them had a huge heart for international missions, which we knew we wanted to be part of our focus as a church to support missions overseas. And so going into this meeting with them, Molly and I were like, okay, we, we got to win them over, right? Again, we felt that way with every meeting, but we felt especially like they have things we, we need. And so we had dinner with them. It was a wonderful dinner. After the dinner, we sat down with them and kind of walked through this sort of vision paper we had uh, put together. You used paper in those um, days. And uh, we sort of flipped through the pages and showed them the vision and the mission and the values and all the things we were hoping for in this church. At the end of that time, you know, we kind of look at them like, okay, what are they going to say? Like, thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, we'll pray about it, which is sort of the, like, you know, go away. Um, uh, and so we were very nervous, and um, the, the husband spoke up, and he said, he said, well, just so you know, thanks for sharing that, but, you know, we've been praying about it ever since we talked with you, you know, last month, and uh, last week, both of us just had the clear sense that we're called to be part of this church, um, and so we're already in. Um, now, when they said that, I have to admit, I was a little disappointed. One, I was sort of disappointed because I sort of wish they had said it at the beginning of the dinner, like, you know, so that I could have enjoyed the dinner and enjoyed the time. Like, oh, hey, you know, we, we don't have to win them over. But I'm embarrassed to say I was also a little disappointed because I kind of wanted to hear, like, man, you persuaded us. Wow, that's what an awesome vision. What a great leader you are. We're in because we believe in you, right? That would have felt good, right? For about 10 seconds, it would have felt good, right? Until the reality would have sunk in, oh, my goodness, if they're part of this church because of me, like, we're in big trouble. Like, that's a problem, right? Because they're going to quickly realize how faulty I am, right? There's going to be a presentation I do that doesn't go well, and they're going to be out, right? But again, as I thought about more, I thought, how good, right, that the primary reason, right, for being part of this church is actually because God's telling them, because they believe God's leading them, right? I mean, that's what we see with the Macedonian church. First, right, they gave to the Lord. And second, right, by the will of God, they, they gave to us. But first and foremost, they were obeying God. And that's the way it should be, right, with generosity, right, with all things, right? That is first and foremost an act of worship. And again, that's what we experienced there, right? And that's my hope to this day for Church of the Cross, right? I hope that if you're part of our church, if you're part of this community, that you do give to our community. It's good to give to your local church, right? And yes, there are needs um, that we need that giving helps with. I actually, I hope that primarily the reason you give to Church of the Cross is not because you trust the leaders, although I hope you do, and not because you believe in the ministry, although I really hope you do, but first and foremost, because it's an act of worship, because you're giving to the Lord. When you're, when you're giving to the church, when you're giving to ministries, when you're giving to missions, right? when you're giving to relieve the poor, when you're giving to relief efforts, all that is an act of worship to the Lord, right? who loves the church and who loves the least of these. Right? How else can we give to the Lord who has everything? other than give to those that he loves, to give to his work in the world. So the, again, the Macedonian church understood that. I just had a note, one of the things we, we stopped doing um, during COVID is passing the offering basket around. Of course, for a while, we weren't doing even worship services in person, right? But even as we returned to service in person, we haven't reintroduced that. We've talked about it, you know, and we're just wondering, you know, when do we start that? Right? But of course, even before COVID, right, the fact is that less and less people are actually putting something in the offering basket. Right? More giving is online. A lot of people don't even write checks anymore or hardly ever use cash. And we realize that. 
So it already had been a question, like, do we continue to pass an offering basket around, um, you know, in church, right? Is that a ritual without meaning? And basically what we felt, and I continue to feel that way, is like, no, right? We actually believe in rituals. And if the ritual passing the offering basket around, even if no one's putting anything in the offering basket, communicates that giving is part of worship, that that is part of our, our corporate worship as a community, then we'll keep doing it, right? And we continue to have an offertory, even though, you know, there isn't an offering per se, Right? We have that time in the service, and I hope that's a time for you to be able to reflect on. How am I being generous? How am I giving? How is my worship to the Lord being seen in my offering? Right? Look at verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. In faith and speech and knowledge. All those things are words that Paul has used previously um, in uh, 1 Corinthians to speak of spiritual gifts. If you've studied 1 Corinthians, you know the Corinthian church, they were really big on spiritual gifts. That was a big deal to them. But unfortunately, often their approach to spiritual gifts was um, spiritual gifts are about, you know, showing how spiritually powerful you are. They're kind of about, like, what does the spiritual gift say about me? So that was a problem in the Corinthian church, right? That, again, it's like, you know, oh, I'm so awesome because I speak in tongues, or I'm awesome because I, I prophesy, right? And so Paul had to correct them. Look, the spiritual gifts are good. It's good that you long for the spiritual gifts, but they're about building up the body, right? And so it's not about how great you are. It's about you using the gifts that the Lord has given you to serve others, right? It's why you have 1 Corinthians 13 in the middle of 12 and 14. 12 and 14 are about the spiritual gifts. 13 is all about love, right? The famous love passages in 1 Corinthians, Right, because he wants them to understand the spiritual gifts are all about love. Right? It's about living out of love. But what I think is interesting here, there's almost something a little bit opposite happening. Right? You've excelled. You've wanted to excel in spiritual gifts. Right? But you know, you've needed the correction. His spiritual gifts aren't ultimately about what you receive. They're about what you give. But actually with giving, of course, giving is about giving. But it's also actually about receiving. In a sense, they have to have their eyes open to see, actually, if you excel in giving you're actually growing. You know, you want spiritual power? You want to grow in spiritual maturity? Then be more generous, right? Give. That will actually help you in the very thing you want, which is to grow, right, as a disciple of Jesus. So he's actually wanting them to see this is an area where as you excel in this act of grace, you will receive grace, right? Not, not in like, a, again, I don't want to make that sound like a formula. You know, give so you can get back. But Paul does say later, right, those who sow, you know, abundantly reap abundantly, right? That's not a get-rich-quick scheme, although some want to make it that way, right? That's about a life of obedience and the growth and joy that comes from obeying the Lord. Okay, so there's benefits, right? There's blessings that come as we give. It's an act of worship, and so it builds us up. But a second, actually, reason he gives for being generous is actually it's living out our dependency, Right? Actually, the, because we are dependent, we give. And maybe, again, that doesn't seem right. Maybe you hear that and think, well, wait a second. Isn't like independence leads to giving, right? You know, you talk about someone being independently wealthy. That means they're not dependent on anyone else. They have enough wealth to, to live without having to work. Right? How does dependence lead to generosity? But again, that's the way it is in the Lord. Right? As we live in dependence on the Lord, right, that actually leads to generosity. That's because we're dependent on the Lord that we're called to be generous and that generosity should flow out of that. So verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Right? In one sense, that's Jesus is the model of generosity. Right? He's used sort of the Macedonians. They're a model of generosity. Jesus is an even better model. Always the case. 
But it's more than that Jesus is a model. Yes, he is a model of generosity and of giving. But actually, he's the source of our generosity. It's because Christ has given us so much that we can give abundantly. For your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He's saying, you're rich. Right now, financially rich, not necessarily. Some of the Corinthian church actually were financially rich. We know that. Others, not so much. Certainly, the Macedonian church was not financially rich, but they had riches in Jesus. Right? I mean, we say, oh, well, those are spiritual riches. And yes, they are spiritual riches, but be careful even how you use that word spiritual. Because when we think about what are the riches we have in Christ, we have the promise, right, the guarantee of a resurrection, a future resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies. Right? We have the riches of being part of a community. We know the healing power of Jesus for body and mind and soul and spirit, right? And so, again, don't limit it to spiritual unless you use spiritual in the greatest sense of the word of the work of the spirit, right? There's abundance of riches that we have in Jesus, right? Not necessarily material riches in the way we think of material riches often, but certainly tangible riches are things that we experience. And to know those riches, actually, and to be dependent on those riches we see from Jesus then allows us and calls us to abundance and generosity, to giving away. Now, he's not saying, and he's actually really clear, he's not saying, hey, because you have so many riches in Jesus, right, you know, just make yourself poor and, and, and live in, you know, great poverty, right? I mean, he does say, I'm not saying that, you know, you should be um, burdened. Um, and so I think he's saying, you know, provide for your family, right? I mean, meet your needs, right? That's, that's not unspiritual <laughs> to need food to eat and to, to need shelter and to provide, but he's saying, but yet you know, you understand that the source of your greatest comfort, right, the ultimate riches comes from trusting in Christ, right? And so we understand, right, material things can bring joy, right? The fact is they can, right? A cup of coffee in the morning, a beautiful room to sit in to read a book, right? I mean, those are sources of joys. Those are good gifts, but they're not ultimately what satisfies us. It's not the ultimate richness that we need. That comes from Jesus, right? right? The, the giver of the gifts is so much greater than any gift, right? And so we understand that, and therefore we can live in generosity because we are dependent, again, on what he gives us. But not only are we dependent, but we're interdependent, right? And that's part of the message here as well as Paul ends this passage is understand your connection to one another, right? When you put your faith in Jesus, when you become dependent to him, right, and acknowledge him as your Savior and Lord, that brings you into community, right? That brings you into a relationship of interdependence with others. And that seemed to be something, again, for the Corinthian church, and maybe for us as well, that they often miss, and we often miss. Oh, I belong actually to others because I belong to Jesus. And therefore, I'm generous because that's just part of living in community. Right? So he says, verse 14, your, abundant at the pres- your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever, ga- whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So that final verse is actually uh, quoting from the book of Exodus and the manna that came down um, from heaven. If you remember that story, right, the Israelites were fed by manna when they were in the wilderness. The Lord fed them with this, you know, bread from heaven. And the Lord made sure that everything was equal, right? So those who gathered a lot had just enough. And those who gathered a little had just enough, right? Something supernaturally happened where God made sure it's going to be fair. Right? If you tried to gather too much and you know, held it overnight, it you know, got maggots in it. You know? so, so he really wanted to be, you're all living in equal dependence upon me. God wanted there to be fairness among the community. 
I think what Paul is saying is basically, look, what, what God made sure happened in, in the giving of the manna and the collecting of the manna, that's what I want to make sure you do as a community. You really are taking that as a model, and you're making sure there's fairness. Like, it's sort of on you now, right? And so where some have abundance, they can give. And where some have lack, lack they can receive. And if you think about it, right, this is an offering for the church in Jerusalem. I mean, where would the church in Corinth be without the church in Jerusalem? Right? Those were the first Christians. Right? Some of them gave their lives, right? We know some were martyred out of their boldness of telling others about the resurrection of Jesus and that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. Right? And so Corinth wouldn't even be a church if it wasn't for those first Christians in Jerusalem, right? So they already have received abundantly. Right? And so, of course, then they can give abundantly, right? And I love that he reminds them, look, your abundance of the present time can supply their need, but there may be future times where you actually have needs and you need their abundance. I've spoken uh, before with um, the folks who run the food shelf, the ICA uh, food shelf um, that uh, we give to and, and help um, support, right? And I remember them saying, and this was a few years ago, they said, you know, it's not unusual, actually, that we'll have people come in collecting, um, you know, food and they give rent checks and they do all sorts of great work there, who will actually say to us, you know, a few years ago, I actually was dropping off food. I was giving food. We've come into a couple crises. We're in a hard time. We, we need your ministry, right? And they said the same thing happens the opposite way, right? That those who have been receivers actually now give and are some of their biggest supporters. But there's actually a humility in saying, maybe I have abundance right now, but actually I may have need in the future. And maybe I have need right now, but there may be abundance in the future. But that's part of actually living in community. That's the interdependence he's calling them to, right? Give and receive. And there's seasons where maybe you're going to be more on the giving end, there's seasons where you can be more on the receiving end. But to live in that truth and that reality actually, again, demands humility, demands a, a vision for Christian community and what that looks like, not just a local community, but local communities, um, various local communities in relationship with one another. It sounds kind of sentimental to say it, and I know this is things pastors say. But honestly, when I look at the ministries that Church of the Cross has been able to support through our, our missions budget, international ministries, local ministries, the benefit we have had and supporting those ministries, I believe, far outweighs what we've given. And again, some of it's very tangible, local ministries that we've received from and that we've participated in, but international ministries. I read the newsletters of our different ministries, and I'm amazed that God's given us the favor to actually participate. And it's formed who we are as a community, right? These connections that we have, the engagement that we've had with, with groups all over the country. And so we've experienced this reality, right? And we've experienced the reality in times of abundance and in times of need. Right? The final thing I just want to say as we consider this passage, again, it's a call to generosity, to give, but actually inherent in these reasons for giving are actually also reasons for receiving. Right? If giving is a blessing, if giving is a means of worship, then when someone wants to give to us, when they want to serve us in some way, and we say, no, 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 I don't want your charity, we're actually preventing them. We're actually keeping them from an opportunity to be blessed. Right? When, when others actually want to share their resources with us, that's actually a time where we need to learn to receive, right? And I think Minnesotans sometimes the receiving part is harder than the giving part for us, quite honestly, right? To, to live in a, abundance actually starts with living in a place of need to the Lord, to acknowledging I need a Savior, right? I, I can't do this alone. And that actually leads to generosity. Right? And again, to live in that interdependence is to acknowledge I have needs that I cannot meet that I need others to help me with. And so let's grow in generosity, but actually let's grow in acknowledging our need for generosity, 
Let's pray for that. Father, we thank you that in order to be good givers, we actually need to be good receivers. And we thank you, Lord, that in you we have riches. Lord, may we continue to start in that place of just acknowledging how abundantly we have been blessed in you, how generous you are. May our generosity um, flow, actually, of an acknowledgement of how freely you give. And may we freely give to others. And Lord, I do pray um, that you would open our eyes to the places you're calling us to give, that we would be wise in our giving, and may we be abundant, Lord. May we give, again, out of a, a freedom that we have in you. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.